Hello, everyone. This is Sherry Rice. Welcome to Access to Healthcare's weekly podcast, where we bring you local guests on topics of interest to you and your family. Today, we are continuing our discussion with Katie Simon Holland, past president and member of the Washoe County School Board. Katie represents the at-large district west of the county. Welcome, Katie. Thank you, Sherry. Nice to be here with you. Yeah, this is fabulous that we get to do an ongoing discussion because certainly um, Washoe County School District and everything you've had to deal with in the last few months and, of course, the reopening is not something that we could do in just a 15- or 20-minute conversation, so I appreciate you doing a series with me. Absolutely, and we appreciate you giving us the opportunity to inform folks in the community who are interested about uh, you know, some of the implications and the and the logistics of all of the options we have for getting our kids back to school. Well, and I think last week we talked about um, the process to determine the model, some of our questions last week, and I know for myself and probably quite a few people who listened, it was really eye-opening to see the depth of the process that you go through and also all of the different ramifications for how you move forward. That was that was very important to hear. Well, good. I, I appreciate the question. So last week we talked about the model to reopen. How is that going? And has the task force met since we chatted? Yes, the, uh, the task force meets every week, and of course it's a, a large group of people that represent a variety of perspectives, not only from the school district, but parents, business community, the faith-based community, health department, uh, lots of folks who are involved, uh, child care facilities uh, that are affected by our reopening plans. Uh, and uh, so the reopening task force is meeting every week, and, and then our COVID-19 task force uh, meets twice a week, and that's uh, that's been in place since the middle of March. Wow! Is uh, people are telling me that July seventh is an important date for the process. What is what does July seventh mean? Well, we actually uh, ha- we've been informed by the governor that uh, we are required to announce our plans for reopening no less than twenty days before the date that we would reopen, and so. Um, our balanced calendar for the school year, as advertised for the last year, was supposed to be August 10th, uh, so we backed up from August 10th uh, to school board meeting dates, and July 7th is when we would want to have those plans uh, shared with the public. Um, we also are meeting tomorrow, which is June 23rd, uh, and on that date we will be making some of the decisions and then uh, additional decisions on July 7th. If we need more time, we will be meeting again and again until we have all of those decisions mapped out for folks and the public has an opportunity to uh, listen and respond and give us their feedback on what our decisions are. And is there a a website that people can go to to give the comments, Katie? Absolutely. WashoSchools.net is our website, and uh, on the front page of our website, there's a There are links to a wonderful wealth of information. Uh, Through this Friday, June 26th, people can access a survey through that website. Again, www.washoschools.net. And uh, they can give us information or they can give us input on their opinions. And then there's a ton of information that people can access from that website. Fabulous. Let's move into our topic for today. We're going to talk about distance learning 
and lessons learned. I know the distance learning has been used for quite a while at Washoe County School District, hasn't it? In what ways have has that been used? Well, of course, we have a full K-12 online school, uh, which is North Star, and we've had that for several years. And we have many students uh, who, for a variety of reasons, either their families travel, sometimes the kids uh, participate in uh, in international sports competitions. There are a variety of reasons, but uh, we have children who take the K-12 online school uh, North Star. And then we've also had it in place for students who may need home, be, may need to be at home because of hospital services and health care issues. Uh, we also make distance learning available to kids that need to, to recover credits so they can, you know, if they have failed a class and they want to make up those credits to be able to graduate on time, we have it for credit recovery. And then, of course, our students who are incarcerated uh, at Jan Evans Juvenile Justice Center uh, also participate in distance learning. So distance learning is something that you've been doing for quite a while, so there were quite a few lessons learned just from how you were doing it already. But what about when you expanded it to thousands of students? That must have been quite the daunting task. It, it was. And, uh, and, you know, of course, when we started it, when uh, COVID-19 hit and things were initially closed, um, none of us, no one in the state knew that we were going to be closed through the end of the school year. Um, but we started out developing um, curriculum for every single grade level for every school uh, over that spring break period, and we were able to provide curriculum that made it so kids could keep learning. But what, uh, what has been daunting about it, not only of course, making sure that that curriculum was developed. But as we mentioned last time, we have thousands of children who don't have a device at home or don't have enough devices at home. You know, right. if there's three or four kids in the family, they have a really tough time working off mom's iPad. Yeah. Uh, so thousands of kids that don't have enough access to a device and then thousands who don't have access to the Internet. We did a, a lot of work with the Education Alliance and with some wonderful uh, volunteer partners, uh, some of the Rotary Clubs in Reno, uh, ITS Logistics, others have donated computers. Uh, so we're we're still acquiring computers for kids that don't have them, but um, we've also gotten some grants, and we're going to be trying to close that gap and get a device for every child. But that that was one of the biggest challenges. And then just we need to move kids forward. We we did a big focus on retaining learning. And all of that was based on the Nevada Academic Content Standards, which are the adopted essential standards for every grade level for every subject. And so we made sure that kids continued to meet the academic standards. Now we're going forward uh, developing that curriculum for uh, content standards for new learning, not just, not just retaining learning, but new learning going forward. So who is the, the group of uh, staff that puts that curriculum together? Is there teachers from every grade? How, how is that put together? We do have teachers from every grade. We have principals. We have, um, of course, Ph.D. Uh, folks in uh, academic curriculum development. We have an entire department of curriculum and instruction that has some very, very uh, outstanding, well-educated folks who work on this. And then we've also... Of course, we work with other school districts. Our superintendent uh, has a regular phone call, at least weekly, with all of the other superintendents in Nevada, as well as the state superintendent of instruction. So um, 
we, we want to make sure we get all the voices that are important and, uh, and the educator, the teacher, is at the center of all of that. And it seems like distance learning is going to be a part of the new normal, don't you think? Well, it very well could be. Um, you know, we, we know that our priority is to have students in our buildings with teachers because we know that that's, that's really the best way that most students learn. We have students that, that really love the distance learning and thrive in that environment. They can, uh, they can look at a recorded video, you know, coursework and, and slow it down and speed it up and review it. Some students do very well with that, but many don't. Uh, so, you know, we have to make sure that health and safety is at the forefront as we, uh, as we work to engage our students and to make sure that they, that they meet the essential standards and learn the things that they need to learn. Um, so, yes, we want to support them. We want to get our kids back to school with a teacher in a classroom, but we have to do so safely, and distance learning may be a component of that for many children. Well, last, last week when we talked... Um, if I remember correctly, if you're going to socially distance in the classroom, you can only have about half as many children in there as what we've had historically. Well, it's going to depend on the model of, uh, you know, what phase we're in by the time we get to the opening of the school year, um, whether case incidences have declined significantly, what's the experience, you know, in our in our county, in our region, and then... Of course, we're um, trying to be mindful of what are the appropriate things for grade levels. You know, what's, what's appropriate for a high school student is very different, perhaps, than it is for a six-year-old. What are we going to be able to expect of students at various grade levels? So we've really been focusing on, you know, what are the distinctions that are, that are student-centered and how can we make it work uh, for, for the levels of kids that we have. And of course, we also have to make sure that our staff members are safe. Um, we're, you know, concerned very much about our students, but we've got 8,000 employees who are st serving those students, who are teaching in the classroom, but they are school nurses, they're counselors, they're bus drivers, they're custodial staff, they're lunch ladies. Uh, we have a lot of folks who are touching those kids, and not literally, <laughs> right. touching those children's lives. Uh, who also need to be protected and to meet, need to be safe and healthy. Daunting task, Katie. I mean, I, I'm so glad we're doing these conversations because I think most of us don't have any comprehension of what it is going to take to be able to move forward in the next school year. Um, well, and I just want to add, um, we also want to think not only about what the, what the uh, implications are for the students and the staff, but also what are the implications for parents. Right. Um, but that's a gigantic part of our logistical planning and our thought process for distance learning. Um, you know, that is, that's a scary thing for a lot of parents. What are you going to do? You're, you're back to work full time and you've got three kids under the age of 12 that, you know, have to be out of school part of the time perhaps? Well, and the How's before and after school program has been such a vital uh a vital thing for parents who work. Well, the before is in the model. Are you looking at before and after school? Absolutely. But if we're also looking at what we call a blended learning environment where kids go to school two days a week potentially or a half a day so that we can socially distance, you know, the other half of the kids that are that are taking up space in the class, um, 
you know, that's more than before and after school. And uh, as I've said to many folks, it's a great business opportunity for somebody uh, to use facilities to be giving kids an opportunity to be tutored and have supervised learning while their parents are at work and the kids can't be in the classroom if that's what's decided. Right, right. Well, and that, that was a question, as you know, that I had, that if, if we have to cut down the number of kids in the classroom, and of course, you know, I have a granddaughter who'll be a kindergartner, and I don't know how you socially distance kindergartners. I, I don't know. Um, that would be a task that I don't think I'd want to take. Uh, it's enough to have um, one four-year-old, well, actually, she just turned five, and to socially distance her. Um, mm -hmm. how that must be for a child that doesn't really truly understand or comprehends, uh, comprehends a big picture of why we're saying to them, no, you can't go play with Susie right now. Yeah, yep. And, and of course, we know that, um, that there are educational uh, systems like in Denmark that did bring their kids, you know, their elementary school kids back to school uh, and have done so pretty safely. So we're, you know, we're looking at those models as well. Um, you know, as you know, I have three grandkids that are in elementary school. Right. And, uh, and yeah, it's, it's, it's a challenge. But we've gotten some really great input, not only from experts nationally, internationally, here in our state, but also from some parents here with great suggestions for things that, you know, we should be thinking about. Um, we certainly are thinking about how unsafe it is for young children to be unsupervised at home right. and not right. school. We, we get that. Um, we also know that it's going to be important to provide that education, as you said, about how, how I can stay safe if I'm a child, age-appropriate training for kids about how they can stay healthy and stay safe at school. Well, is summer school being done virtually right now? It is. Okay, so some, um, I've had, actually I had somebody over the weekend tell me uh, she has two kids that just graduated from a Washoe County High School, and she was telling me that one of the best things for one of her children that happened with the virus is that he was able to get caught up because uh, at home and be able to graduate. Uh, so yeah. there was some real pluses in that yeah. family unit to to having him have the time to be able to get caught up. But do you yeah. find um, that children, in the studies that they've done, uh, that they are as engaged in a virtual setting as they are in a classroom? Of course, at my age, everything was in the classroom, so it wasn't virtual. And uh, so engagement is something that I don't know I would be able to do virtually. Mm -hmm. Well, it really depends on the individual child. Um, as I said, some students do really well in a virtual setting, uh, and they enjoy the ability to work at an independent pace and, you know, connecting with their teachers on a regular basis. But for other students, it's a real challenge. Um, you know, as we said, lack of devices. And then for some kids, there are attention deficit issues. Um, you know, I have been involved in school board meetings that have lasted eight hours on Zoom, <laughs> eight hours, eight hours sitting in front of the computer screen. And uh, so I, you know, I understand. One of the things we have learned uh, from our distance learning is that we have some teachers who are really rock stars 
at doing the distance learning and keeping the kids engaged. Um, and they have a you know a great schedule, uh, and the kids just thrive. Uh, but that's not every kid. And again, we don't have you know we don't have access for everybody. But we're really proud of the fact that we had a 96, 97 percent uh, daily attendance engagement by teachers with our students. That's just oh, remarkable that in a remarkable. virtual learning environment. Yeah. And for some of the kids, you know, it was by phone because there is no device. And so right. Those teachers right. were, you know, calling those kids, working with them for the time that it took to keep them learning their essential standards, mm -hmm. making porch visits uh, to, you know, meet with families at home, socially distanced, to make sure that our kids kept learning. But um, a lot of kids do well, but a lot of kids don't. And so we're very mindful of that, very mindful of it. And what is blended learning? You mentioned that just a few minutes ago. What is it and how is it best used? Well, we're, we're looking at a continuum of options. And at one end of that continuum is uh, full distance learning. Every, every school is distance learning. And at the other end of that continuum is full, what we're calling brick and mortar. Every, every kid goes back to school. And then between those, um, due to social distancing and, and um, sometimes family options, um, we're looking at some alternative models that would include, for example, you know, some kids go to school in the morning and are off in the afternoon so that we can socially distance the kids in the existing facilities that we have. Or some kids go to school on Monday and Tuesday and some kids go to school on Thursday and Friday and you know, Wednesday is a makeup day. Uh, so we're looking at all of those. And, of course, year-round school is another uh, way to, to thin the school population and improve social distancing. So we're looking at all of those things. A lot of it will depend on how our community observes the things we know about reducing the spread, wearing a mask, washing right. your hands, social distancing. It helps everyone. It trickles down to the entire region to make it safer for our children to go back to the schools that they want to be in and to the learning that their teachers want to give them. So what do you think over the next, um, say, six months, Katie, that will be the greatest challenge with integrating distance learning into K through 12? What, what do you see as the real um, challenges that we need to work together on in our community with this? Well, I think there are several. Um, and as I've mentioned, the, um, the digital divide, the access to technology, is a huge issue to me. Um, when kids don't have a device and they don't have Internet connectivity, they can't participate in their school community at all. They're isolated. Uh, they may be doing their homework on a paper packet, but, and they may be talking to their teacher, but they don't have any sense of that school community. Even in a Zoom meeting, you do get some sense of your class community. Right. But those kids without a device are, are being totally isolated and they're not having an equitable access to a quality public education. So that's let a real... Let me ask you, Katie, if somebody wanted to donate computers or money to the school district for computers for kids that don't have them, uh, where would they go? The Education Alliance is uh, is our nonprofit that manages those kinds of uh, donations for us, and they uh, they have a website that is uh, I think it's Ed Alliance Washoe. Okay. Um, 
and uh, they're doing all of that for us, and we appreciate it greatly. We did purchase we did purchase uh, Wi-Fi hotspots, uh, three thousand of them that we'll be making available uh, to families, and then we uh, have installed uh, we have hotspot enabled buses that we are driving out to areas like apartment buildings, et cetera, to be able to uh, give kids access who don't have it. So um, we're we're hoping that that's going to be cured. But again, getting devices for upwards of 11,000 kids, um, you know, that's, that's $3 million. And we're, we're, we're close. We're, we're close to getting the funding to be able to do that, but we don't have it yet. So that's one of the big, big challenges. And then the other is just the family systems impacts, the impacts on, you know, those families that have to work and rely on, on the public schools to provide their child care. Right, um, right. That's a gigantic issue for us. And then I guess the third thing I would say, which is more of a big system problem, um, the state of Nevada is facing an $800-plus million shortfall due to the closure uh-huh. and will be reducing funding to education, I'm sure, and we still don't know what that will be. We still don't, we still have not been told uh, what our uh, new school year, new fiscal year uh, revenues will be from the state because they're still, they're still crunching the numbers. We're told there will be a special session of the legislature mm-hmm. probably this week. Yeah. Uh, and uh, maybe some decisions will be made. But we, we are having to do all of this planning without having an understanding or knowledge about what resources we have to do it with. We're yeah. still waiting for, you know, the uh, $9 million we're promised from the first CARES Act, which was passed in March. We're, we're still waiting for that. This is June, and it was passed March 27th. So, so you're making a lot of decisions without much information. Um, you must be very proud of the staff, Katie. We are. I'm extremely, extremely proud of what they've done. And of course we've made mistakes. Everyone, um, you know, everyone is working really hard and is supremely dedicated to the well-being of your children out there in Washoe County. Uh, I'm, you know, that's why people come into education is to serve. And they are, um, they're being thoughtful. They're being very deliberative. Uh, they're relying on expert guidance and uh, listening and asking good questions. Uh, at some point, we're going to make decisions that will make some people unhappy. Uh, and we're going to do the best we can to provide information to other folks. We've, um, as I said, our washoschools.net website has a tremendous amount of information for folks. We even have a family wellness newsletter going out every week to help families know things to be looking for and ways to be supportive and helpful uh, so that the emotional health of the family is is attended to as well. So very proud of the very proud of the staff uh, and we will be making decisions and we will be listening and we will maybe have to course correct. Uh, hopefully we'll we'll uh, make some decisions that will enable education to go on as best we can in Washoe County. I'm so glad that we can get this out to people as to the um, the intensity and the commitment and the work that is being done on behalf of the children in our community. But before we close, there was an article in the Reno Gazette Journal about children reporting their own neglect and abuse. I think that's through that Safe Voice app. Can you tell us a little bit about that, Katie? 
Absolutely. And Safe Voice is a statewide program that was implemented um, last legislative session statewide. Uh, and it's a wonderful toll-free number that is monitored 24 hours a day by experts and professionals. The toll-free number is 833-216-SAFE, SAFE, which is 216-7233. Uh, that's the toll-free number. And then there's also a website, www.safevoicenv.org. Uh, and yes, we have um, kids who are reporting for themselves, reporting for friends that they talk to on the phone who may feel at risk. Um, and of course, schools were uh, quite often the, the first defense, uh, the first you know mandatory reporting, but the first recognition that, that a child was at risk. So when kids aren't in school, that's another big danger. And we're um, we're very dedicated to making sure that that, gets, that word gets spread. So thanks for asking. Oh, you're so welcome. We've been discussing distance learning with Washoe County School District Trustee, past board chair, uh, Katie Simon-Holland. And next week, Katie and I will be discussing another timely and very important topic, culturally responsive practices in our school. Thank you, Katie, for doing these podcasts with us. I'm Happy that we are getting the word out to the public as to the amount of commitment uh, that the school board and that the staff have in getting the right learning for our kids, especially through this pandemic. So thank you very much for being a guest. Thanks, Sherry. Appreciate the opportunity. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And can you pass this podcast along to other parents in Washoe County School District when you hear it? That would be fabulous because I think these podcasts are something that many, many parents uh, would be interested in listening to. For a list of all of our podcasts, you can go to accesstohealthcare.org slash podcast.